0: I will encourage you to uh, keep your outline and take notes. Uh, We're going to spend some time talking about the first Gentile conversion. Uh, You guys are going to spend the majority of your time in Acts chapter 10 and 11. Uh, So go ahead and just keep your fingers there. I will give you a couple of verses, and I'll try not to add too many uh, just from memory as I go. This is pretty foundational, uh, this topic here. There's some very unusual things that are taught. Uh, And so as and that has affected many religious groups today. And so as we we begin to break this down, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time just going right through the verses. That's why my son about had a heart attack this morning. He thought there were so many verses. We're going to read a lot of this. And so um, we really got to put your listening ears on. Let's begin to talk about the establishment of the church here. Right at the very beginning after Jesus died, we see, and I didn't put this verse in here, but please jot down Acts uh, 2.4. As soon as Jesus had died and we had His appointed ambassadors, the apostles, just prior to them giving the very first gospel sermon ever, we see that they are filled with the Spirit and begin to speak in tongues. Now, there was a purpose behind this it showed the Jews who were there that they were the select of God. God had approved of them, uh, and this was done as a sign. It was an outward sign to those Jews that them speaking miraculously in tongues showed they were, again, approved of God. Now that is extremely important, and it is extremely important as we begin to see what takes place um, with the very first Gentile conversion. Now, as we read through the book of Acts, we know very quickly that initially the gospel was—it was very limited in its out, outreach. It was um, primarily spread only throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria, but other than the Samaritans—and if you remember much about them, they were what we would call half-Jewish. Um, that's the extent to which it went. It went amongst the Jews, and that also is what was prophesied would take place. It was going to start amongst the Jews, and then. Uh, we, we learned that it was going to go throughout the remainder of the world. Okay, That all begins with the conversion of Cornelius and his household. Those are the very first Gentiles to ever be saved. But as we begin to look at this account, I want to point out just a couple of things. It was extremely different than all the other conversion accounts. And again, the book of Acts is called by many people the book of conversions, this account is very, very different from all of the other conversion accounts. And again, there's a reason why. Not only because they were the very first Gentiles, but also because there was a number of miraculous events that took place prior to the conversion. And those miraculous events had very specific reason. Uh, I'll give you just a couple of them. But we see that initially there is an angel appearing to Cornelius. Uh, this is miraculous. This is an angel appearing to, a, um, to a, a non-Jewish believer. He didn't have understanding, but he was a Gentile believer. We then see Peter has a vision that's followed by the Spirit's instruction. And then we read that later on that the Spirit actually falls upon Cornelius's family and all of his close friends. And it was evidenced by the fact that he then began to speak in tongues just as when the Spirit fell upon the apostles before they started their ministry to the Jews. Let me point that out again. Prior to the apostles starting their ministry to the Jews, we see the the Spirit filling them and them speaking in tongues. And then we start the Jewish message going out, right? We see the same thing taking place here with Gentiles. And we'll begin to get down into that. But they began to speak in tongues. Now, we're blessed in a number of regards as we look at this, very similar to Saul's conversion account, that we have a number of accounts here, uh, multiple accounts of Cornelius' conversion. We have two of them. I listed them there at the top of your sermon outline. Acts 10, verses 1 through 48. We have Luke's account there. And then we have the retelling of Peter's account in Acts 11, 1 through 18. Now, here's a couple of questions we're going to look at as we work through this. Um, Number one, exactly when did the Spirit fall upon Cornelius and his company? When did that all happen? Okay. Number two, what was the purpose of that actually happening? Number three, well, then when exactly were they saved? Based on when the Spirit fell and what we see taking place, was it when they obeyed the gospel? Was it when they were baptized and they were baptized, or was it right when the Spirit fell on them? Those are all things that we need to go back and answer. Uh, and again, much of the religious world has a great under- misunderstanding regarding this topic. So, I'm going to break this down. <clears throat> going over to Acts chapter 10, verse 1, we're going to start at the top. We are going to use both of these accounts as we begin to work through this, uh, because what 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 information I may not have in one account is supplemented by the other account. So let's start off with the very beginning where we have an angel who is appearing to this Gentile believer. Okay, and that may sound a little bit unusual to have a Gentile believer. Uh, we do have other accounts of Gentile believers, uh, often what we would call them again, we've touched, touched on this often, strangers at the gate, uh, proselytes, devout men. Here we have Cornelius. Now again, Cornelius Uh, He is a centurion, and we're going to learn that he is a very, very religious man. Listen to Acts 10.1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Okay, this guy is an extremely important person. Uh, This is a trustworthy person, and I know that because this is a Roman captain over a hundred men. So right off the bat, I understand this is a man of importance, this is a man of dependability, uh, so much so that the Romans trust him in a position of leadership. Okay, So this, this guy right off the bat, he screams of somebody who is very dependable. And we learn that he, uh, he's a devout man. Let's go on over to Acts 10, starting in verse 3. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, that's about uh, 3 p.m., Uh, of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid. And he said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do." All right, let me summarize real quick what's taking place here. You have Cornelius that we learn is a very devout uh, believer, and an angel comes and speaks to Cornelius. He tells him that God has heard your prayers uh, and that you are instructed to go send for Peter. And he describes where Peter is uh, and who he is. And the angel tells him he's going to tell you what you need to do. Now, we are also blessed as we get Cornelius' information here in Acts 10 that if we go over to Acts 11, so turn the page, guys. Let's go down to verse 13. We then get Peter's account. Okay, We have to start putting all of this together. Let's go to uh, Acts 11, verse 13. We see the uh, opposite account here. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, "...which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved." So, here's the thing. Cornelius is going to send two servants. He's going to send a, 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 a devout soldier, and they're going to go get Peter. Peter is going to come and tell him the words that he needs to know to be saved. He doesn't know what to do to be saved. He's a devout follower of God. But he's never heard the gospel. He has no knowledge about the gospel. So he needs someone to come and to preach to him. And they tell him, the angel tells him, go send for Peter. He's going to tell you what you need to do. All right, now, separate and apart from that account of, of Cornelius having this discussion, basically he's listening, to this angel and being told what to do, we also have Peter Now, Peter is also having a vision. Now, while the three men from Cornelius are traveling to Peter, Peter is going to have this vision take place. And we'll say right off the bat, let me go back and remind everyone, when the gospel first began to go out, it only went out to the Jews. Okay, They looked at everyone else as a Gentile, an unbeliever, uh, unclean, and they didn't want anything to do with them. Okay, And you've got to remember, Peter, who is now a Christian, but he's a Jewish Christian, and I'll touch on that, he has much of that same bias and prejudice. Hopefully you guys have never been biased or prejudiced uh, on some fact or some issue, but most of us have if we're honest. And Peter has this same problem. He is a former Jew, practicing Jew who is now a Jewish Christian, and he has always looked at the Gentiles as unclean. They didn't want anything to do with him. Notice Acts 10, 9. Let's get some information here about his vision. "'On the morrow, as they went on their journey, and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry, and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance, and saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners, and let down to the earth. All right, so envision in your mind a sheet held by four corners. It's kind of drooping down, right? And what's inside that sheet? What's going on? Verse 12. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts, uh, these are things the Jews would not have eaten under the uh, law of Moses, all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, thou call not thou common. This was done thrice, three times, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. All right, let's go back and summarize what's going on. You've got the men coming from um, Cornelius. They're coming to get Peter. Peter's up on the rooftop. He has this vision, a big sheet hanging down. All these uh, unclean animals that are inside of it, at least unclean under the law of Moses. And a voice tells Peter he can kill and he can eat these things. And he says, there's no way. I, I wouldn't eat something that's common or unclean. The voice tells him that what God has cleansed, you ought not to call unclean. Three different times this is repeated for emphasis to Peter in the attempt to get him to, one, open his eyes and to begin to understand what he is being told. He still does not truly understand what he is being told yet. And that's because not enough of this has played out yet for him to realize what's going on. He has seen the vision, and he was told very clearly, don't call common or unclean what I have cleansed. Okay. Now, the Spirit is going to tell him to go with the messengers. Let's go on over to Acts chapter 10. And we'll read from 17 and 18, uh, because as these men are coming, Peter's trying to get this all figured out. What is going on here? What am I being told? What's the meaning of the vision? Verse 17, now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision, which he had seen, should mean, and, and let me pause for just a second. I can understand why he, he doesn't understand or grasp what is going on. Uh, I don't think any of us, with the limited information he has to this point, would have understood. So he is trying to figure this out. Behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, and they stood before the gate. So these, they've showed up. And they called and asked whether Simon, which was sur- surnamed Peter, was lodged there. So these men show up. I'm sure Peter at that point is thinking, who are these people? What is going on here? the Spirit is then going to tell him, you need to go with these guys. Listen to Acts 10, verses 19 through 20. And while Peter thought on the vision, he's trying to figure this out, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Alright, so in Acts 10, 21 through 23, and then the parallel count, Acts eleven twelve, we see that Peter receives these men, and then the next morning he takes six of his own men and they're going to gather and begin this journey to go to see Cornelius. Okay, So that's where we're going to pick up. So far, Cornelius has an angel that tells him what to do, send for Peter. Peter has a vision. He's not quite understanding it. He's trying to figure it out and these men show up. The Spirit says, you need to go with these men. Okay, And they depart. So let's pick up at Cornelius' house. What's Cornelius doing? Well, Cornelius is hes sitting there hanging out with his family and all of his friends, Acts 10-24, and they're waiting on Peter. And you may say, why? Well, put yourself in Cornelius' shoes for just a second. An angel shows up and says, you need to go send for Peter because Peter's going to come here and he's going to tell you what to do. They're probably sitting around going, what's this guy going to tell us to do? Uh, I have no idea. What do you think he's going to tell me? I don't know. We need to wait for him to get here. So they're just sitting there waiting for Peter to show up. Okay. Peter arrives to the house, and I, I can kind of see why maybe Cornelius would do this. Uh, he just met an angel. The angel tells him what to do. Peter gets there, and he, he attempts to worship Peter. And Peter stops this immediately. Acts 10.25 And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet, and he worshiped him. Verse 26, But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up! I myself also am a man. All right, so Peter shows up. Cornelius doesn't know Peter, but he knows that the angel told him to go get him. They're waiting for him to come and to tell him what to do. And so now you've got Peter who's had this vision. He's trying to get all this figured out. He's told by the Spirit, Go with them. And now he is actually standing in a Gentile's house. And I think he's starting to get it. Let's go to verse 28. Because this is not something that Peter would have done prior. Okay? Verse 28. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew. Let me pause for a minute. This is unlawful if he's following the law of Moses. Does he follow the law of Moses anymore with a nod of your head? No, he's a Christian now. Some people read this and they go, so so wait a minute, is he still a Jew? Let me explain what's taking place here. Peter is a Jewish Christian. He does not follow the law of Moses. He's called a Jew because he lives in a Jewish nation. He's from a Jewish nation. That's his genealogy, it's his heritage, and it's his nationality. He's not a Jewish religiously. He is a Jewish by his nation, okay? And now under Judaism, no, he could never be in a Gentile's house. And that's why he's starting to get the pieces here and figure this out. He says, you know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company. Notice this, or come unto one of another nation. He's a Jew by nationality. Under the law of Moses, he couldn't do this. He doesn't follow the law of Moses anymore. It was nailed to the cross, Colossians 2.14. That's not in your notes. He goes on, but God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So he's, he's starting to get this. I had this vision of what before I would not associate with, at least as far as eating, and God said, don't call unclean what I've cleansed. And now I'm with who I would not have associated before, and God is getting me to understand, don't call unclean what I've cleansed. As a Jew under the law of Moses, he would have never done this. As a Christian, he's realizing there's a change taking place. Now, after telling Cornelius this, he asks him, why did you call for me? And Cornelius over in in, um, Acts 10.32 says, well, the angel told me to call for you. And here's what he says in verse 33. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all the things that are commanded the of God. Let me pause for just a second on this thought. We've all gathered together to hear what you commanded us to do. Let me take a side note. The majority of the world out there will tell you, you don't need to do anything to go to heaven, right? You just got to believe. He says, I'm here present before God because there are things you're going to command me. Remember, he was told you need to have him come and tell you these words by which you can be saved. He's wanting to hear that. He's like, what are you going to command me, tell me to do? He realizes Peter's one in a position of authority. How? An angel said, go get Peter. So now that Peter's there, he's he's wanting to know, what is God telling you to tell me to do? Okay? We're ready to hear your message. If that doesn't just totally dismiss the whole idea of faith-only salvation, uh, I could give you plenty of other verses, but that ought to do it. Okay? Now Peter's going to begin to speak. And when he does, remember, just prior to Peter preaching the first sermon to the Jews, the Spirit fell upon the apostles. They begin to speak in tongues. Now, just before Peter is going to speak to the Gentiles, you're going to see the Spirit fall again. However, it's not going to fall on the apostles as a sign to those Jews in the crowd. It's going to fall upon the Gentiles Okay, and there's a, there's a reason for all of this. And we have to be very careful as we notice the sequence of events because it's also going to deal with a topic that some people clearly misunderstand. Luke's account there in Luke uh, in Acts 10, uh, it talks about the fact that the spirit, or that the sermon came first and the spirit begins to fall down on the Gentiles, but it doesn't really tell us when that takes place. So you're not sure. Well did it happen in the beginning? Did it happen in the middle? Did it happen at the end? We don't know exactly when the Spirit fell upon the Gentiles based off the account there in Acts 10, but we do when we get Peter's retelling of the account, okay? Because Peter actually retells the account in the actual sequence of events that it occurred. Notice Acts eleven four, 4. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning, and he expounded it by order unto them saying, okay? And he goes on. He's going to give it to them as it actually happened. Now, Peter's account describes the events as they happen. And here's what he says in Acts eleven fifteen. 15. And as I began to speak... So he's about to give, begin to give his sermon here to this Gentile, the Gentile house. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them... That's the plurality of these Gentiles. As on us at the beginning... Now remember, before the apostles went and preached to the Jews, the Spirit fell upon them, they all began to speak in tongues. And everybody in the crowd was like, oh, what's going on here? And they realized from the miraculous, these people were ordained and appointed by God. Okay? It was a sign to the unbelievers in the crowd. Now this is taking place in Peter's presence. Okay? And it happens as soon as he begins to preach, the Spirit falls upon the Gentiles, right? At the very beginning of the sermon, as he is beginning to talk. Now, as he's beginning to preach and the Spirit falls upon the Gentiles, they then begin to speak in tongues. This is extremely, extremely important. And let me point something else out. This is the only account we ever read of a non-Christian speaking in tongues. This is something that had never... Been seen before. Um, you're not going to see it again, and it has a very, very, very specific purpose. This literally shocks Peter and the other Jews that were with him to the core, and they realize, okay, wait a minute. This is a sign, right? This is this hadn't happened to Peter before as he's out preaching, and all of a sudden, an unbeliever or an unbelieving Jew begins to speak in tongues. That had never happened. The only time the Spirit fell on someone and they began to speak in tongues was the apostles. That was a sign to everyone in the crowd, these people are ordained of God. These are the ambassadors of Christ. Now Peter, as he begins to preach, probably his his same old sermon over and over again, right? And all of a sudden, you've got Gentiles. They're believers of God, but they're not Christians. And they begin to speak in tongues, and he goes, it's a sign. Remember, he's trying to get all this figured out. Don't call unclean what I've called clean. The Spirit says to come here. He's starting to get it. This is confirmation. Listen to Acts 10, verse 45. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit, for they had heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. This was a sign that the Gentiles are being accepted. You say, why are they speaking in tongues? Let me, let me give you the, the reason. I'm going to use 1 Corinthians 14.22. And that's why we had tongues, the miraculous, being done by Christians. Wherefore tongues are, a, are for a sign. Notice this very carefully. Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Let's focus for again. Speaking in tongues is a sign to the unbeliever. Now, Pentecostals today will say if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved, right? If that was a sign to a believer, that's completely against what the Scriptures teach, right? Pentecostals who say they are believers say you've got to speak in tongues. Tongues are a sign to the unbeliever, not the believer, okay? Modern-day, again, Pentecostals, you've got to speak in tongues. We've already touched on that this morning. There were people in the first century that did not have a miraculous gift and who could not speak in tongues, and they were still Christians. So that idea uh, that's taught by some groups of you need to speak in tongues is evidence of your salvation, completely false, completely false. Uh, go over and read Acts 8. Uh, when they were baptized, uh, none of them could uh, speak in tongues, or they didn't have the ability to do the miraculous until the apostles came down, okay? Actually, I'll give you the passage here in a minute. But they were Christians in the fullest sense of the word. So that idea, you've got to speak in tongues to be saved, that's nonsense. This speaking in tongues here in the account of Cornelius has a very different purpose. Okay, You've got to remember that there were early Christians, as I mentioned, who through the laying on of the apostles' hands did have miraculous gifts. There were no Gentiles that could do this, but there were Christians who could. And the only way they could do it again was by the laying on of hands, uh, which would allow them to, for example, speak in tongues. Uh, You could go over to Acts 8, 16, and 17, also Acts 19, 5, and 6. I'm going to read verses 5 and 6 just to show you that the only way that a Christian could do a miracle was to receive the miracle by the laying on of the apostles' hands. Listen to Acts 19, 5, and I'll read verse 6 too. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let me pause. Are they speaking in tongues? Do they they have the ability to do the miracles yet? Nope. Notice very closely verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, here's an apostle, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. That is how people who were Christians received gifts, the laying on of hands. That is not what took place with Cornelius and his household. Nobody laid hands on them. They weren't even Christians yet. The Holy Spirit came down. They began to speak in tongues. Why? Because tongues are assigned to the unbeliever. Okay, Again, why do we have non-Christian Gentiles speaking in tongues? 1 Corinthians 14.22, it's a sign to the unbeliever. Let's notice Peter's sermon to the household here at Cornelius. He begins with giving full understanding that he's now come to the conclusion God doesn't show partiality to anybody. Now, initially, he thought, he thought God did. And you could see that. He, as a Jew, believed that the Jews were God's people. And even though he knew better and had been told better, apparently he still had that understanding. Didn't have a full understanding of the Gentiles coming into the church. Okay, But God doesn't show partiality. Acts 10, verse 34 and 35. He then has the vision of the sheep uh, containing these unclean beasts that he begins to talk about. Um, And he begins to get some clarity on the matter when the Spirit falls upon the Gentiles and they begin to speak in tongues. You guys, again, remember tongues are assigned to the unbeliever. Who's the unbeliever? Well, initially it was Peter. Peter was the one that had a problem with the Gentiles. Peter was the one still trying to get all this figured out. It was starting to come together, but initially the unbeliever in this account is Peter. On the day of Pentecost, who are the unbelievers in the crowd? The Jews that were looking at these apostles, right? Are they, are they ambassadors for Christ? Uh, I don't believe that they are. Bam, they're speaking in tongues. Tongues are assigned to the unbeliever, right? The miraculous is occurring. Same thing here. Peter, the men that are with him, not fully convinced, not believers, and the Gentile being added to the church, you begin to see speaking in tongues, which is a sign to the unbelievers. As he begins to preach, he covers a number of things. He talks about Jesus Christ, who was the Messiah, anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. He preaches that He was killed, He was raised from the dead, that there were eyewitnesses that saw all this take place, Acts 10, 39-41. He then taught that Christ had told them that they were to go out and to preach um, as the chosen ones of God, um, that He was going to judge the living and the dead, Acts 10, verse 42. And then He teaches that it's only through Christ that one can have remission of sins, um, and it's only offered to those who believe. Acts 10, verse 43. Now a lot will come here and say, well, see, Cornelius was a Gentile believer, and he believed. Let me go back and remind you to go back and look up the word believe, the original Greek word, pistuo that always has two functions. It has that I understand it, and I will do it, okay? And if you don't, if you don't put those two together, you're not a believer. To be a believer of God means I understand what He wants me to do, and I'm going to carry it out. And if you don't have one of those, you are not a believer. Okay? That, that is important that you understand what believing meant, uh, not only in the original language, but to them. Okay? Now, Peter, as he preaches, then commands them to be baptized. Uh, how could anybody forbid water to those who had received the Spirit, just as, just as we did, Acts 10 verse 47. There's a lot taking place here, but Peter is coming to an understanding here. The Gentiles are not unclean. They are to be part of the church. Yes, the gospel originally was sent to the Jews. Uh, They were told even even right before Jesus' ascension, you're going to go to the Jews first, but it's going to spread across the world. Now he's understanding the Gentiles are going to be part of the kingdom. He tells Cornelius that this can only take place if he's going to submit to baptism in the name of the Lord, Acts 10, verse 48. Okay? Now again, some teach that um, some teach that Peter preaches one sermon or the apostles preach one gospel, the gospel to the Jews. How many of you have heard this? And that Paul taught the gospel to the Gentiles, and that they were two totally different gospel messages. Hopefully you've never heard that nonsense. You will find it by those who are supposed academics. The apostles taught one gospel to the Jews, and Paul taught a different gospel to the Gentiles. Guys, that is complete and utter nonsense. Peter here is preaching to a Gentile. He also preached to the Jews, right? Paul preached to the Jews, and Paul also preached to the Gentiles. I want you to notice what Paul taught about Jew and Gentile, and tell me if this doesn't line up with what Peter's saying. Romans 3, 29-31. Is he the God of the Jews only? The answer to that is no. No, he's not. He goes on. Is he not also of the Gentiles? He says, yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith. That word faith there, pistis, it's the same Greek word that we just had in believe. Believe is pistuo, faith is pistis. You better understand it, you better do it. That's what makes up faith, right? Faith is more of a noun, pistuo There's that's a verb. He's going to justify the circumcision, the, uh, the, the Jew, by faith, notice this, And the uncircumcision, that's the Gentile, through faith. Both the same word, pistis. How? Because they believe, they understand it, they're going to do it. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Okay, both the Jews and the Gentiles, they become justified by the same law of faith. Now you say, what law is that? Well, we touched on it this morning. You've got the law of Christ. You have the perfect law of liberty. We call it the New Testament. You may call it the gospel, uh, the Greek word for gospel, the euangelion, the good news. right? So wh- what, is, what are we talking about? What's the law? Well, just go to your first page there for the beginning of the New Testament. Find that blank page, and everything on this side is the law we follow. right? We don't live under the old law. That was nailed to the cross. We live under the New Testament. We're Christians. And again, why could Peter go into the house of a Gentile? He didn't follow the old law anymore. He's beginning to get all of this figured out. Peter tells tells them they've got to be baptized. Both Jew and Gentile are going to be added to the same body in the exact same way. Was there a different gospel from the apostles and from Paul? Absolutely not. They taught the exact same thing. That all is just utter nonsense. Now, let me point out a few things regarding this conversion account. And we learn this as we begin to think about Cornelius. If we had Cornelius living next to us today, right? He's our neighbor, but he's not a, he's not a, a Christian or whatever. He doesn't worship here with us. What would we say about Cornelius? Cornelius was good pe- He was a good guy. There there are good people out there. Cornelius was an extremely good person. But all religious people need to be saved. <laughs> he's spiritual, he still needs salvation. I have to say all that because there are a lot of people that, well, if you're a good person or if you're spiritual or if you're religious or if you just go to a church somewhere or a church or if you do good, you get to go to heaven. Cornelius is a devout man. It says he feared God. It says that he is praying and his family are, are giving alms or if you don't know what that word is, is they are doing good deeds for the poor people around them. He's praying to God. He is a good moral person. He fears God. He's helping the poor. And I want you to notice, he was still told he needed to hear words by which he and his household could be saved. This is an unsaved man, a good man, a good moral man, but he's not saved. Him being religious, being spiritual, didn't save him. Him doing good things for people didn't save him. He says, you need to call for Peter, and Peter's going to tell you what you need to do to be saved. Okay, Acts 11.14 So, let's point that out real quick to anybody watching that, or even for us who are here. Being religious and coming to this building once a week doesn't save you. I'm not suggesting you don't need to be here. You do. We have the understanding that we're to worship within our New Testament. My point is, is you can't just think coming to worship is enough. You can't go through the motions and think that's going to save you. It's the blood of Christ contacted through obedience to the gospel, and then faithfulness to that gospel. Let's notice the Gospels for everybody. Acts 10, verse 34 through 35. Peter begins to get this figured out. Remember, it it didn't all hit him all at once. He's trying to put the pieces together, but he finally gets it. Then Peter opened his mouth. This is verse 34, Acts 10, 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and he said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, notice this, he that feareth him, and here's important, and worketh, righteousness is accepted with him. I'm going to point out again, Cornelius has said, you need to call Peter, he's going to tell you what you need to do. Why does he need to be told what to do? Here's why, you see it right here in Peter's words. How do you work righteousness if you don't know what righteousness is? You can't be saved apart from an understanding and a working of the will of God. It's it's completely, those two have to be interlocked like this. You can't have one and not the other. Right? Yes, you have to fear Him. That's a reverent fear. That's based on belief. But you also have to have that working of righteousness. Yes, God wants all people to be saved. I was going to have, uh, start off with either John 3.16. Uh, we learn right there that God loves everybody and wants all people to be saved. Let me, let me read to you First Timothy 2.3-6. There's a lot of verses we could go to. Notice this. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved. How do they do that? Listen closely. "...and to come unto the knowledge of the truth." Again, why did Cornelius need someone to come and preach to him? You can't work righteousness when you don't know what righteousness is. You can't know what truth is. And if you don't have a knowledge of the truth, how are you going to be saved? Verse 5, "...for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time." It's interesting, Cornelius was a follower of God. I don't it doesn't seem to mention anything really about uh, his understanding of Christ. But if Christ is the mediator, how could a person with no understanding of Christ and yet be a follower of God be saved? You can't, not now, not now that we've got the establishment of the church. There's things he needed to know. Again, that's why we have him there. That's why Peter had to go preach. Now again, some people have tried to say, well... God has predestined certain people to be saved and other people to be lost. That's not true at all. Peter makes it very clear uh, when he got there, he had words for Cornelius, right, so that Cornelius would hear these words that he could be saved by. We learn uh, from Paul that for a person to be saved, they have to come into the knowledge of the truth. God didn't predestine one person saved and one person lost. He predestined a method. The method is we hear the gospel, we understand it, we obey it, and then we live according to it. That's the method of how one is saved, right? There's no predestined person. There's a predestined way. That's why we have ministers. And If people are predestined either to be saved or lost, I have, I have no need to stand behind a pulpit today. Let that sink in for a minute. If God already is going to save who He's going to save, and He's going to reject who He's going to reject, there is no need for me to stand behind a pulpit and preach. Because I'm not going to have any impact on, God, on who God has already chosen or rejected. You guys see how illogical that is? Man has free will. That's why Cornelius was told, you need to call this guy who's going to tell you what to do. Let's notice the, pur- the purpose of the spirit falling. Now again, a lot of people teach Cornelius was saved... Uh, as soon as he believed. Uh, let me remind you again, we saw the Spirit falls upon Cornelius and his household there, right as Peter begins to speak. Okay, This is before they ever heard the words by which they could be saved. How can they be saved the very second they begin to speak in tongues when Peter hadn't even told them what to do yet? They can't. Guys, let's use some logic here. For anybody watching this online, use some logic. There's words telling them what to do to be saved. They begin to speak in tongues as soon as he begins to preach, but they've not even been told yet what to do to be saved. They can't be saved. Anybody who teaches they are has got an ulterior motive. I want you to notice the reaction as we begin to see them speaking here in tongues. Because there was a purpose, again, just as the apostles began to be filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues. And it was a sign to the Jews there in the crowd. Here we have the Spirit falling on them. And notice the reaction there of of, uh, Peter and the brethren that are with him. They're astonished. And that's the same thing we find with the Jewish brethren in Jerusalem when Peter begins to go back and tell them what happened over in Acts 11, verse 17 through 18. They understood by the falling of the Spirit on these Gentiles and speaking in tongues that God had approved the Gentiles to be part of the church. I want you to consider Peter's explanation at the council over in Acts 15. I'm going to read verses 7 to 11. Listen to what, what he says here. "...And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up, and he said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe." And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit, even as He did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they... The whole purpose of the Spirit falling upon the Gentiles was to show the unbelievers. In this count, initially, Peter, here we even see it with these Jewish brethren there at the council. It's showing them God's not a respecter of persons. Yes, both Jew and Gentile in the same body, right? by the same faith, by the same system of faith. And so that's why, that's why Peter had to go preach to them. Faith only comes by hearing. Most of you know the passage, right? Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so they needed to hear the gospel. How, how can you do what you don't know? And again, that idea, well, they were saved as soon as they believed. No, they weren't. They didn't even know what to do yet. They, didn't even, they had no knowledge whatsoever. Yes, they feared God. Yes, they were, pray, they were prayerful. Yes, they were doing good things for people. And even in that state, they were told, go send for Peter. He's going to tell you what you can do to be saved. So when was he saved? Well, I think we've pointed it out pretty clear. Uh, he was told to send for Peter to tell him what to do, words by which he would be saved. That's in Acts ten six and eleven fourteen. From this and all the other conversion accounts we can go back and look at, Cornelius was not saved until he could hear those words and he could obey those words of what to do. That's the same thing we find in Acts chapter 2. When Peter preaches to the Jews and says, you guys just killed the Messiah, and then over in verse 37, they say, they, they realize it, men and brethren, what shall we do? They didn't know yet, so he has to tell them. They weren't saved as soon as they believed. They asked, what do we do? And that's what Cornelius is doing. As soon as Peter walks in, he's like, we're here, we're ready. Tell us what God has commanded you to tell us. Why? He was seeking after salvation, but he you can't be saved until you know what to do. Guys, and the same thing is true for all people today. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. Cornelius was a spiritual person. He was a lost spiritual person, and the same is true today. He had to do what the inspired word teaches, and for him to understand what that was, Peter had to preach to him. Now granted, we're, we're blessed enough we have the inspired word here and we can sit down, But obeying the gospel is as simple as, and we talk about it every week faithfully adhering to the New Testament pattern, the New Testament words by which we shall be saved. The same thing that Cornelius was told, right? Romans 10 17. We need to hear the word of God so that we can have faith and repent of our sins, Acts 17 30. We need to confess Christ, Romans 10 9 and 10. We need to be immersed for the remission of our sins, Acts 2 38. Uh, Again, go on over and look at Galatians 3, 26 and 27, which says that's how we get into Christ. Read the bulletin uh, article that focuses on 1 Peter 3, 18 through 21 today. It doth also now save us. Baptism is required. Cornelius couldn't be saved until he was told that he had to be baptized. He had no understanding of any of that. And so, no, he wasn't saved when the tongues came, came down and they began to speak in tongues. It was a sign to the unbelievers... These, these men who are Gentiles, this household of Gentiles, they've been accepted by God. But they weren't saved yet. They had to submit to baptism as part of that gospel and then they had to live faithfully, 2 Timothy 4, 7-8. If you're watching this and you've never heard that before, I will tell you the same way that they were saved there and in every conversion account is the same way that you're saved today. Somebody has to teach you the gospel give understanding to you of why He came and who He was and the consequence of sins, what the church is, how to be added to it, and then how to be faithful after. If you're here, we would love to assist you in any manner that you may have. And if you have a spiritual need, you can come up while we're being led in a song of invitation.